Angie, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We are the Faithlift Sisters, four women who love Jesus and who have committed to spending time studying the Bible and growing in friendship with each other. We love being together, and we hope that you will enjoy your time with us. In the last episode, Nehemiah prayed to God, reminding God of God's promises and reminding God of the relationship between God and His people. But Nehemiah was also reminding himself of God's promises and who God was. In verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of the servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. So four months have passed um, between the time that God put on Nehemiah's heart to um, go back to Jerusalem and build the wall and the time that Nehemiah was sad before the king. So this has been a four-month span. So what do you think Nehemiah was doing all this time? I think he was doing research and planning. Mm-hmm. He needed a lot of supplies if he was going to um, help, you know, to rebuild the wall. And he needed a plan. He needed to know dimensions, who was available, what was available, materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for sure, praying. I mean, he prayed for four months before he even had the opportunity to speak to the king. So I think for us, it's, it's, it's good to know that, yes, we have a part to play. We need to be planning. We need to be diligent. We need to do our research. Um, but the foundation for all of that is those four months that he spent mm-hmm. in prayer. I think, and as he prays, God downloads the plans. Yeah, don't you yeah. think? I would think so, right. too, that as he's spending mm-hmm. that time before the Lord, that God is saying, okay, how about this? Have you looked into that? Right. Um, and I know Sheepsgate was already there from the original temple and the design, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just wonder if God said, this could be a bigger Sheepsgate, just a little bit, <laughs> make it easier or something like that. You know, like, I just kind of wonder what he was mm-hmm. saying, you know, yeah. as it was yeah. going in. Well, Terry, do you want to read that passage for us? Sure. Uh, so I'm going to be reading Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and I'll be using the NIV. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said, Said to me, What is it you want? And then I prayed to God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. 
So this was a big deal for Nehemiah to do this in front of the king, to have a sad face. And the reason for that was because anyone who showed that the king showed displeasure in, he could execute. Mm -hmm. So everybody wanted to make it happy around the king. They wanted to show everything good so they didn't burden the king with any sad emotions or anything Mm -hmm. bad. So as Nehemiah has a sad face and is acknowledging this sad face to the king and that there are problems... He's taking the risk that he can be killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did a little research into it, and uh, you could not even come into the palace if you were in deep uh, grieving and you had sackcloth and ashes, which is how the Israelites really displayed their uh, sadness. Um, you're not even allowed in there. There's no way anyone's allowed to make the king the least bit unhappy. So it's, it's huge. He took a huge, huge risk. I keep wondering why that isn't a rule in my life. <laughs> As you were saying that, I'm like, how come? Nobody can be sad in front of me. Oh, yeah. oh that's right. I'm not the king. I just, I just got that. Okay, we're back to saying <laughs> But don't you think that speaks to the personal relationship that Nehemiah had with the king? So he's not just an official in the king's court. He's not just his cupbearer. There must have been a little bit more that the king knew Nehemiah well enough because I'm sure Nehemiah wasn't he wasn't in sackcloth and ashes like like Terry said right. that wouldn't have been allowed but the king must have been close enough to him to realize that something was wrong his face his countenance wasn't what it usually was mm-hmm. um, and then he spoke to Nehemiah so Nehemiah didn't even have to say anything to the king first the king opened that door for him yeah. I think that's pretty cool and I wonder in all the prayer if God was just you know how you have a request from God or or God puts something on your heart and then it becomes this heavy burden. It just keeps mm-hmm. getting heavier and heavier. So I don't think Nehemiah was putting anything on. I think that's just what was happening as a result of the four months of prayer. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. I think God was pushing him and saying, Okay, now now it's yeah, time it's for time. all of this to come out. Yeah. Just in his timing. And I just think it's Angie, you mentioned, you know, that the king saw Nehemiah and said, you know, what's what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And the fact that the king, they had the relationship where the king would ask instead of just saying off with his head, right. um, yeah. speaks volumes mm-hmm. about their relationship mm-hmm. for sure. And he was a, you know, he was obviously trusted. He was the the cupbearer, mm-hmm. who is the person who is the taste tester. You know, to make sure that um, he's the last line of defense. So if somebody's trying to poison the king or um, cause any kind of harm, then, you know, Nehemiah is the one who's flat out in the court instead of the king. Yeah, kind of like our secret service today. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, he was the last line of defense to protect the king. Right. And the kings all had a lot of enemies, and sometimes it even came from their own family. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone was always trying to get the throne away from the current king. So they had to be on their toes. And um, Nehemiah was even more than just a cupbearer. He was his bodyguard as well. Yeah. He was willing to sacrifice his life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And he had been with the king for a long time. So, um, yeah. Well, I think it's hard. How could you live in that kind of close proximity and not get to know each other? Mm-hmm. You know, right. I, I mean, it's just human interaction. Even though he's the king, he had feelings too. Mm-hmm. And he obviously must have cared about Nehemiah mm-hmm. and what was going on with him. I think that speaks to the kind of character yeah. of him. 
Right, and and it also um, it mentions that he was in the presence of the queen as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was um, a little uncommon. That's it's not like it is now where you sit down with your family to dinner. Um, and as a you know, as a wife, a lot of times you're next to your husband, and you're you know you do things. But um, queens, in a lot of ways, were just there as show, mm-hmm. and so for him to be there with the queen in you know alongside him is and that also shows be, that intimacy. Yeah, for mm-hmm. her to be mentioned too, even right. in scripture, is a oh, pretty big point. deal. Yeah, you know, because God doesn't put anything in there without a purpose. So there's. There's a purpose for her presence there. I think it does speak to that in- intimacy um, that Nehemiah had with the royal family. Right. Yeah. He wasn't just a guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was the guy. Mm-hmm. And so some scholars talk about who that queen was, possibly. And it's possible that she was Queen Esther. And we're going to find out more about her in the next study that we do. Yep. We're going to yeah. do the Book of Esther. Yeah. But that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's and I did some reading, and it was like <clears throat> to have the queen there. It seems like um, because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, our text Xerxes was so um, kind of soft with Nehemiah that the, this queen seemed to have some sort of um, um, influence influence on him and his decisions, maybe, and especially in the close relationship that they had. So. You know, Esther had a lot of influence over the king that she became queen of. And, and it even may if have it wasn't, him, maybe not. Even if it wasn't Esther, she may have influenced how the queen, the position that the queen held mm-hmm. in any following courts. Mm-hmm. You know, she could have set an example of that kind of closeness. Who knows? And I kept wondering, like, how did this king's heart change? We know that God did something in terms of changing this king's heart, but I wonder if if the queen, if it was Esther, I don't know, but certainly Queen Esther would have had an influence on on talking about the Jewish people, talking about Mm -hmm. Jerusalem or what she knew of her faith. For sure. That could have been how his heart softened towards Mm -hmm. that. I, I think probably that you're exactly right. That's a lot of... Anyway, I think probably a lot of supposition. It's okay, Suzanne. I was liking it. I don't hear that all the time, so I really liked it. Just because, just because, in um, I need to. Sorry, I have to. As I age, have to hold my books closer to me as I read. Um, But in chapter six, it says the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, "How long will your journey take, and when will you get back?" And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And I just, um, I just wonder if her influence there was that softening influence and the um, kind of spirit of generosity that comes out. And then, at least in my life and in my marriage, um, my husband is not a details man. Mm-hmm. My husband is like, yeah, that's fine, you know, it, and doesn't think. Th- about all of the other moving parts that go along with it. He's a big picture guy. He is. Mm-hmm. He's a big picture guy. And I think, um, you know, a lot of men are that way. And mm-hmm. so I wonder if she was sitting there saying, hey, ask how long it's going to take. Ask him more about this. Mm-hmm. Ask mm-hmm. about some of the details. Ask him what he has worked out. So I just wonder if that was another part of her influence. I bet you it is. 
a yeah. woman behind a, the man. A good wife. That's right. Right. Well, she wouldn't have been mentioned in scripture. That's right. the yeah. piece. That's right. the piece that's, that, like, with people, when they know the overall Bible, generally women weren't really acknowledged. Mm-hmm. They weren't counted in the men that came back and in the populations that came back. So she was mentioned specifically yep. here. Yeah. And so we want to pay attention to that whenever we're reading scripture. Like, oh, mm-hmm. how did a queen get in? How did a female <laughs> right. get in? Now, the other part of that is Jesus was, and in, in the whole Bible, God is very much for women. Right. But as a culture, um, that wasn't really prominent. Yep, That's right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. How cool. Mm-hmm. Very. Mm-hmm. So Nehemiah has this big project going, right? Nehemiah has this big, huge project going. And um, obviously, he's approached it with prayer and more prayer and more prayer, four months Mm -hmm. of prayer. Um, And we talked a little bit, Terry, you mentioned that you think he was doing lots of planning as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It just makes me kind of wonder, like, do we, when we have something big coming up, and when we have something um, that is on our hearts, whether it's from God or something that we've just come up with on our own, how much time do we spend preparing and what are different ways that we prepare? I mean, have any of you ever had something that you knew was coming up and what did you do to prepare for it? How did you react to being you know, told essentially that this is what's going to happen like Nehemiah? Well, I've got one good story. When I was younger, I felt that God called me to the mission field, um, not in a different country, but out in Seattle. And I grew up in Florida, so that was pretty far away. And I remember first I went to my Bible study group and prayed with them, and everybody seemed to think, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's God speaking to you. And so I went back to the Lord, and I said, well, you know, that's great, Father, but you know, my dad is a really, he's a Southern gentleman, and there's no way he's going to let me leave Florida and move to Seattle. You know, I was not quite 18. And um, so I said, if, if this is really you, then here's what you got to do. You got to work on my dad. So I prayed for, you know, I don't know how many more months. I can't remember now. It's been so long. And I had my Bible study group praying with me, my youth group at church. And finally kind of worked up my courage and went to my dad and said, um, I think that God wants me to go out to Seattle and do this mission work. And my dad said, oh my goodness, well, let's see. We're going to have to get you a new car because I don't think your car is dependable enough. And how much money have you got in the bank? Because it's going to take you this much money to get out there and get an apartment before you could maybe get a job or before this might materialize into something that would support you. So that kind of blew me away. God didn't put all that planning on me. But he put that on my dad's heart. And that was such a miracle and such a witness for me that I I knew without a doubt then that that was exactly what I was supposed to do. Mm. But yeah, my dad took care of all the logistics, so God put that on his heart. Um, And you put that back on God and said, God, if you're giving this to me, you're going to have to do do it. Yeah. That's just like Nehemiah and the king. Exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a such a good reaction, and I will confess that I very rarely have that reaction. <laughs> well, I was pretty young then, Suzanne. <laughs> Even when I was young, I did not have that reaction. But I had listen. I am a planner, and I had my whole life planned out. I mean, my whole life was planned out when I was in high school. I was like, "This is what it's going to be," and sitting here 
in Michigan is not anywhere <laughs> close to what that plan looked like. So my plan is hardly ever what I think it's going to be. And I have a tendency to just go kicking and screaming. Like, mm-hmm. God, you, you, nope. Mm-mm. You're wrong. <laughs> this is not your plan. This is not your plan. This is not your plan. And as I've gotten older, I've, I don't know. Well, I've come to realize that it's not worth fighting because God's going to work out his plans one way or another. And we've learned that yeah. the easy way and the hard way. And the hard mm-hmm. way. Well, we were very glad that God had a plan for you to be in Michigan. We sure are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. That is for sure. We have a saying around here. It says, come for the lake, stay for the people. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. made that up in my brain. <laughs> that That's not a real awesome. one. That should be on a pure Michigan good. commercial. Michigan, you pure can Michigan. use that. Yeah. 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 Good. Nice. But yeah. I'm so glad yeah. you're here. Yeah, yeah this was... Um, this was definitely not part of our plan at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can look back now and just see how God moved and moved and moved. And the pieces over years and years and years just built so that he, you know, we, he was leading us here. Wow. And I don't know. We don't know if this is forever our home, you know, but um, just... Looking back, and we can see, okay, God moved this and gave us this experience and then gave us this experience and this experience and met these people, and it just was like a very, very, very windy path. But I wonder, Nehemiah was a captive, right? So I wonder if that happened for Nehemiah, too, Mm -hmm. where all these different experiences, people came in with letters or just information. Information, They told him about Jerusalem and... um, and and I wonder if Nehemiah had experience, certainly with architects or different builders or different people, as he served in the king's court. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool how he may not have known that that's what he was going to be doing, yeah. but yeah. that God was providing it even back then. And what's mm-hmm. so cool about this is that the experiences we're having today are setting us up for the next adventure that's with true. God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And Nehemiah was definitely headed on an adventure. Oh, boy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was going somewhere he'd never been before. And um, I mean, that's right, Suzanne. He wasn't, he'd never lived in Jerusalem, he'd never lived there, never. And in fact, he presents it to the king as um, the land of my ancestors. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how long had how long had Jeremiah? Jeremiah. I don't know. <laughs> that Oopsie. is a combination of Jerusalem and Nehemiah. There you go. In this context. Um, <laughs> but we only use it to refer to frogs. So go ahead. <laughs> Bullfrogs in particular. Bullfrog. Yes. Um, <laughs> woo, more poppy. Um, anyway, uh, so how does Nehemiah know the things that he knows? What does he know the state of Jerusalem is? And, and what does he think he's going to be walking into? Well, um, when his brothers came and told him what was going on, he was—he um, knew that it was lying in ruins. He knew that its gates had, had been destroyed by fire, and um, it felt hopeless to the people. <clears throat> excuse me, who were living in Jerusalem and the and the men that brought the news. You know that it was—it was not good. It was it was going to take a lot of work. That had to be all about God then, because who would want to go to a city that was lying in ruins? Right. I mean, he had a pretty cushy life. He lived in the palace. He was mm-hmm. friends with the king in a way. Um, he had a big life for a captive, especially. You know, he really was a prisoner in some ways. 
Um, and to even think that he should go to Jerusalem was a pretty big deal, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Um, but yeah, I don't know that I could be sitting in a nice, cushy life and hear about um, someplace I'd never been and how destroyed it was and get a vision to go there and rebuild yeah. it. Pretty big deal. It had to have been God. I, mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was nothing other than God. Yeah. But then also the way that God used His people and the mm-hmm. the stories and the tradition and the just that cultural awareness mm-hmm. of where He came from. He, those were His roots. Those were His people. Yeah, you know, which I think so many of us don't have a concept of our roots and our people, and you know, because we just live in the United States where there is um, so much diversity that that's not necessarily something that we're terribly aware of. My grandmother came from Holland when she was twelve, so that is, you know, looking at this, that's kind of that's part of where my roots are. Nehemiah loved Jerusalem, having never been there, never seen it, mm-hmm. anything. I don't love Holland. I would like to go visit because that's where my grandmother came from. I have no attachment to it. So this idea that he is so attached, um, I think that's from God too. I think God just um, made it, you know, put his love for Jerusalem in his heart mm-hmm. when he's preparing him for this huge journey. So, but it isn't just a place, Jerusalem. It, it's a holy, holy city. So it was right. about how he lived his life. It was about his religion. Mm-hmm. It was about all of that. True. But to hold on to that in another place while in captivity is really quite amazing. I think yeah. so too. Yeah, and to be in the hub of um, the castle and the citadel and all that um, in. Babylon, Assyria, in Syria. I forget where they are. Anyways, to be that um, high up in the hierarchy or his position and still maintain his um, Jewishness and not be caught up in all the lifestyle and the riches and the probably the draw of, you know, just debauchery. I mean, that's pretty rampant when you get up high in in a society that's not faith-based. For him to maintain his integrity and for him to maintain his relationship with God, I just, um, he just looks better and better all the time, (laughs) you know, to me. It's like he was aware of his identity. Mm -hmm. And I wonder when I think back to him coming back to Jerusalem, that's a piece of what he needed to give the people their identity. Mm That's something we need to remember, who we are. So I heard or read, I don't know, anyway, um, some parent who said that he always left his children when he was dropping him off at school or taking him to a party or a soccer game or whatever. His parting words to them were, um, remember who you are and whose you are. Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful. And Nehemiah is evidence of... Knowing who, who you are is. and who he belonged to. Yeah. Yeah. That's we did the same thing. My husband instilled that with our kids. If there were bad movies or things that they shouldn't be watching, he goes, I don't care. You're a Ritter House. That's not what Ritter Houses do. Yeah. Mm. So right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Awesome. Knowing who you are and whose you are. And who's your right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That makes a big difference. Well, Nehemiah obviously knew who he was mm-hmm. as a person and who he belonged to and, and owned his his faith. Um, 
And I think it's easy for us to just sit in that a little bit to say, God's going to take care of me and it's going to be fine. But Nehemiah used the practicality, had practicality as well. And so um, he made preparations. He didn't just go, okay, God, you have this project for me. I'm ready. You know, he prepared. Um and he asked the king for some very specific things. Mm-hmm. Very specific things. Um, well, I think he had to have educated himself about the territory that he had to pass through to get to Jerusalem. Um, the other nations, the other tribes that were inhabiting um, that territory. So he knew that he had some pretty big obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he wouldn't. He would have. He would have been gathering that information. I think, and maybe he had some already because he was in the palace. He knew um, the Babylonian Empire and what that consisted of. Who that consisted of. You know, until you said that, I had never thought about all of the things that he would have information that he would have been privy to, as sitting as the cupbearer to the king because he's there and he's tasting and he's drinking and as almost like a fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we, we have those people and those things in our lives that are just constants, and we have a tendency, especially I think um, like our families, um, you know, the people that we see all the time, those are the people we feel safe with mm-hmm. and that we relax with. Um, and sometimes they get the nasty brunt of that because if you're, you know, if you're going to be ugly, you're going to be ugly to somebody that you feel, that you safe, feel with. safe with. But at yes. the same time, you are free to say things and have conversations that you would not have necessarily with the general public. Mm-hmm. True. So I wonder, like you said, how much, how much did he hear as he was just sitting there and people saw him as the servant? How free were they to with speak? They yeah. Well, we talked a little bit um, before, or maybe just amongst ourselves, <clears throat> that the brightest and the um, you know the smartest and the cream of the crop were the ones that were taken into captivity. So he's he's no dummy, you know, That's and they true. wanted him at, for a purpose. And so he's, um, I, as we can see later on, he's brilliant. He's just brilliant. Yeah. So just to clarify, did Nehemiah specifically for these things, or did the king volunteer these letters of transport? I don't recall. I think he asked specifically for the he letters okay. to pass through trans- ask for Euphrates. Yeah. yeah. In verse yeah. six, I also said to him, "If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct, and can I have a letter to Asaph um, for the timber? Because I need these for the um, temple." for the beams, for the gates of the citadel, for the city wall, and for the residence he would build for himself. So he knew so to he ask does all ask. that. Yep. That's great. Yeah. And he knows what to ask for specifically, <clears throat> mm-hmm. which just goes back to the preparation level mm-hmm. and the knowledge of what he was getting ready to go into. Well, let's see. Ezra had already gone back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So when those brothers came to Babylonia... And spoke with Nehemiah. They probably had some information about the state of the temple, the state of, of mm-hmm. the whole city, mm-hmm. um, and the territory that they had to travel through to get to the palace. Um, I'm sure they shared that with him. Also, when Nehemiah doesn't speak directly and use the word Jerusalem, there's a purpose behind that. And um, Earlier, um, years earlier, in <clears throat> King Artaxerxes' um, 
reign, the men of Trans-Euphrates had sent him a letter, specifically him a letter, asking him not to allow any of these people from Jerusalem uh, to get anything from him, and that they he would not give them any kind of help whatsoever, because they were <clears throat> troublemakers, they would try to overcome him, they would set up their own king, and the king did sign that. And up until this time, that was still intact. So, what Nehemiah is asking for is a complete turnaround in what is already set in place. So, that, to me, that in itself is almost like a miracle, you know, um, it's really cool how ne- God works. Yeah, Nehemiah constantly gives the glory to God. And mm-hmm. that constantly says mm-hmm. we have the yeah. hand of yep. God on us, yeah. upon us. Yeah. Well, he was obviously um, preparing for both short-term and long-term, short-term so that he could get through mm-hmm. um, long-term because he was talking about building a home for himself mm-hmm. with the timber. And um, I don't know, are there... Ways that we are are there ways that we go through life um, and make plans short term, long term. Um, I mean, I can't, we kind of talked about this earlier, but um, how do those plans change when we know that they're not going to be just short term but long term plans? How does how does our planning and um, our dependency on God? How does that? change the way that we do things, the way that we plan things, the way that we prepare. Well, I, I just wrote down something a little bit silly, but, you know, does knowing God change how you plan things? And I'm like, well, I am not going to plan to go on a trip on a party cruise. You know, those are that's kind of maybe a silly thing, but maybe in the past, before I had Jesus in my heart, that would have been a plan that we may have had. So those kinds of um, decision-making and planning, that changes. I think that changes a lot of your perspective on the things you want to do. Well, it has to start somewhere. And I think Mm. it starts with those everyday decisions Mm. um, to live your life in line with the Word of God. Um, So yeah, as simple as not going on a party Mm. cruise, that's a a place to start. and like everything else, I think it takes a little practice. You have to practice putting your own plans down and being willing to take God's plans into your heart. And I think the more you do it, the easier it gets. Although at 62 years old, it still sometimes can be a challenge because mm. we all of us have our own heart desires and our own plans, the things that we want. Um, and sometimes they don't line up with what God has, and so we have to reconcile that. But I think the bottom line for us is that if we really believe that God has the good plans for us, the best plans for us, like Jeremiah 29 says, mm-hmm. then we'll be willing to give up our way for His way. And I'm not saying that's always pretty, because for me it's not. I, I do a lot of kicking and screaming too, Suzanne. <laughs> But I think my heart is that I know God has the best in mind for me. And so if I can, you know, exercise a little self-control and and let him have his way, that's really going to end up being the best thing for me. 
And I want to clarify, I'm not against cruises. <laughs> I've been on a couple and I love cruises, but there are some cruise lines that are advertised specifically as the big party boats, right. you know, the and sort of anything goes on our cruise. That's Oh, come on, Terry. We know how spiritual you are. (laughs) I'm so spiritual. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Nehemiah was giving up a big, big, comfortable life. Oh, mm -hmm. sure. Like we've we've mentioned that before. But do you think, and this is pure supposition, and this is me just asking this off the top of my head, do you think that he had any idea when he was? Growing up, when he was um, placed in the king's service, do you think he had any idea that God was going to be like, you are it. You are the man. You are going to take us back. You are going to, this is what you're going to do. Like, do you think he had any inkling? You know, some people feel like, well, like Terry, you mentioned, you know, you really felt like you were being called into um, ministry. Mm-hmm. There are people who, from the very beginning, are like, God is going to use me in a big, huge way. Do you think that Nehemiah was like that at all? And this is pure supposition on our part. We are not scholars. We have not researched this. No. This is just conversation. I think people can have an intention. God, use me however you want. Mm -hmm. And not know how big the job's going to be. Yeah. And then there's other people like, God, really? Like, that's the plan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I think there can be people that have this huge intention, but not actually get the full vision of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think for Nehemiah, he certainly had a heart for God. Mm -hmm. And I think if you really have a heart for God, you have some understanding that there's, there's a role for you to play in life big or small, to be an influence, a godly influence in the lives of, even if it's just your husband and your children and your family, um, your friends, your community, you know, we we all of us start, we have to start somewhere. I think that that's really an important thing to, to get our brain around. So I think Nehemiah knew that he was called to live a godly life and maybe to be an influence in his sphere, but I don't imagine that he ever thought he was going to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. Right. I think that was probably just more than he could have fathomed at the time. And I think God only gives us little bites sometimes because if he gave us the mm-hmm. whole picture all at once, we we would be blown away mm-hmm. and we would be so big picture, like you were talking about your husband. If you're too big picture, you can't get into the details. Right. And so I think sometimes God gives us a little piece of what he has for us so that we can plan and work to accomplish that. And then when we gotten there, then you can open that vision up, make it a little bit bigger. Okay, so now you did that step. So baby steps. You did great here. Let's do a little bit more. Okay, you got that. Let's do a little bit more until Nehemiah finds himself on his way to Jerusalem. I think that's an exercise in trust also, Mm -hmm. because if God just laid it out, I always joked when we were first married and um, we'd moved across the country to a place that we had never been before. Um, didn't have anybody around, and it was, I mean, completely... We moved from the West Coast to the South, and you want to talk about all kinds of culture shock. Some culture shock. <laughs> all Absolutely. kinds of culture shock. But I, I always said, you know, God, just give me, the, give me the book. Like, lay it out for me. Let me just read what's coming, and I promise I'll do what you have laid out. I just, I just need know. to know. I just like to I know. Just know. Yeah. yeah. You know, but it's mm-hmm. like, nah, we're not going to do that. And it, it's just an exercise and a slow step in trust. Mm-hmm. Well, the um, Bible says that um, 
God's word is um, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. So sometimes we just get a lamp and we just get to walk right here and that's all we know, but just keep walking. And sometimes he gives us the bigger picture. So just depends on you know where you are maybe in the process and what his big plan is. He, can't uh, sometimes you can't think of the huge steps like you said it's like uh no i can't do that but if you go here 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 then you get there and you're like okay i'm yeah, i'm doing do it that. you know yeah i think i'm getting better and better that as a christian um in my walk and in my it really is about building that relationship with god that's what lets you move to the it's like a trust instead of a trust fall it's a trust walk right yeah it's like yeah. are you going to step out are you going to do this and i'm learning more and more to not be in the future, not be in the past. Right here, right now, God, mm-hmm. what do you need to have mm-hmm. me do? Yeah. And just who's in front of me? What's going on in my life right now? And just walk through that, just mm-hmm. one step at a time. Awesome. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, does somebody want to pray for us? I feel like that's a great way for us to end today. I'll pray. Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Father, that you have um, given us your Son, Jesus, that you filled us with the Holy Spirit, who's our comforter and our counselor and our teacher and our guide. Thank you, Father, that you have provided us with everything that we need to live this life and to live it abundantly. Thank you, Father, for the relationship that you have with each one of us and that we have with each other. We're so grateful that we are all bound together in your love. Mm. And Father, we thank you for this time. We're really learning a lot as we study Nehemiah, what it means to really trust you and to rely on you. And, and the depths of prayer that Nehemiah um, showed us, I, I think that that's been really awesome for me to see that four months he laid that foundation mm-hmm. of prayer um, before he left, um, before he even approached the, the king. So, Father, thank you for your word. It is alive, and it brings life to us. It's not just words written down in the book, but it's something, Father, to help us live day by day right now. And so, Father, we praise you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. And cut. (laughs) (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.